Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. I remember the first time, <clears throat> the first time I ever felt like a hypocrite. The first time I ever felt like an imposter, like a poser. I was about 10 years old, <clears throat> playing basketball at the boys' club. I, I was spent a lot of time at the boys' club and uh, was, was, with, was within walking distance of my house, which is very much unlike today. Uh, for something being walking distance of a kid's house, it's got to be next door. I mean, pretty much. The kids don't walk anywhere anymore, and for sometimes with good reason. But but this was, I don't know, 10, 12 blocks away from the house, and so <clears throat> I would walk there and practice basketball, played on the basketball team, and um, we were getting new uniforms. And the, the, the boys' club was furnishing uniforms, but you had to go buy your shoes. And so the coaches said, <clears throat> told us a couple of options here. You can go buy Converse. Chucky Taylor Converse, black, low-top Chucky Taylor Converse. Or, and they said it this way, or you can go to Sears and get the Jeepers, black canvas Jeepers, if you can't afford the, 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 the Converse. Well, Converse at that time were nine ninety-five a pair, which was about $5 more than my dad had to spend on tennis shoes. And... There wasn't any cherries or apples to sell or anything out of my backyard at the time. So, I, you know, I had no, no two nickels to rub together. So I'm at my dad's mercy for <clears throat> mom and dad's mercy for shoes. So you know where we end up at Sears getting the Jeepers. So I get the Jeepers instead of the Chucky e. Taylor cons and about everybody on my team has the converse. So I show up at the first game. And looking at, I thought, you know, there'd be at least half the team probably that couldn't afford the cons too, and so they'd be wearing Jeepers. I'm the only one in Jeepers. So, and they were fine tennis shoes. I mean, you know, they lasted as long as the Chucky e. Taylors did. But I remember walking in that, in that Lamar Street gym to play that basketball game, looking to see how the rest of the team was decked out, and I felt like a poser. I felt like, I felt like the, you know, everybody in the world looking at these Jeeper tennis shoes. And they're seeing the rest of these guys that are on the team, that are really on the team, and this poser over here that thinks he's a part of the, what's going on. And there have been other situations like that in life, probably like that in your life too, where, where <clears throat> you feel like an imitation of the original. You feel like, you know, I, I, I'm not all that, or I'm not them, or I'm not. And so consequently, I'll just... I'll kind of stay back in the shadows, uh, and I'll, I'll kind of bide my time. Or, if you're like others, many in our culture now, you're out there with who you are, and you're talking the game, walking the game as much as you can, um, looking, you got, you got the look, you got the image, but behind, and that's what he deals with this morning here in, in Matthew 6, behind, there's a, there's, that, that's a thin veneer to what's really not underneath no substance of me. So let's look at this text in Matthew chapter 6. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn there and follow along, um, we're going to be looking at verses 1 down through 18 together and seeing uh, what we can glean from these three things he teaches. And as we're walking through this teaching on the Sermon of the Mount, as you can already see, if you've, if you've been here or you've listened online to some of these 
He's very direct. I mean, Jesus is very pointed with some of this stuff. He says, here's the way it is. Now, you can either like it or not like it, agree with it or disagree with it, but here's the way it is. And so he talks about that today. It, it's, it's even more direct as we deal with, with prayer and uh, with giving and with fasting. So let's see what he says. Be careful, verse 1, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in secret, and then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. But I truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And um, when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show they are fasting. And truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. When you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others what you're fa- that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, there's very, very pointed and directed things, I think, he says in these three instances about giving, praying, and fasting. First of all, giving is a matter of delayed reward. Delayed reward. That's what he talks about in verses 1 and 2. Be careful not to let your acts of righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues, to be honored by others. He says the reward is from your Father who is in heaven. In essence, the, the reward for giving effectively, giving secretly, giving privately, as he's saying here, is a delayed reward. It's not something that should be seen or desire to be seen up front. The real reward, he's saying here, is the privilege to give, not in others seeing it. It's the privilege we have to, to give to the needs of someone else, and the praise that comes from it should go to him. Now, what is inferred in this verse as well is that our giving is not just about money, that our giving has to do with with as much time and as much talent as it does treasure. In our culture, um, especially in, 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 the, in the Americanized Christian culture that you and I live in, many who are believers have, and they've seen this, it's learned behavior, they've seen it in church or in home, is that if there's a need, let me throw some money at it. Let me take up an offering. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I don't think he, he speaks to, to, to meeting needs here in this passage. But our first mindset goes to money. Let me meet the need with money. Sadly, that's our government's concept of, of social ills. If there's a social ill, let's throw a bunch of money at it and it'll go away. It never does because the core of the ill is still there. 
And so the core of the need is still there, oftentimes even after money has been given to us. What's he saying deeper than that? Your time investment and your talent investment to come alongside some of these kinds of things are just as significant as the money. In fact, one of the reasons we were ministering with Eric and Melissa in Nicaragua is as a result of the initial conversation I had with Eric to say, what are your needs? What are the things that, um, you know, that, that we can do as a church to come alongside what you're doing? And he said, we need teams. We need talent. We need time. Now, money's fine. It, you know, we need it to, to, to function, to, to do ministry. But what we need is manpower. We need somebody to stand with us and walk with us and help us reach this culture. And that really connected with me because I didn't want to be a part of a church or help lead a church that just threw money at something. I want to make an investment of time, an investment of talent into what we do in the missions. And I think that's what he's, what he's talking about here. But that's a matter of delayed reward. If we're looking for God's blessing initially, if I'm giving to get from him, my motive is wrong. He said in his verse. I need to be giving in secret, understanding that the get is later. The get is oftentimes never seen by anyone else. It's in how God provides for me on my own. Secondly, giving is not only a matter of delayed reward, it's a matter of discretion. Look at what he says in 3 and 4. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In essence, he's saying that if he sees, if he's the one who sees it, and he is, and he's the one who who we're actually giving to, then he's the one the reward comes from. If he's the one who sees it, he's the one who rewards. Now, if he sees it in private, and this whole right hand not knowing what the left hand doing, that's a metaphor to say it needs to be done discreetly. I mean, don't pull out a big check as the offering plate's passing. You know, so in essence, he's saying, let that be done as, as a matter of your heart. Let, let your giving be done as an, as an act of worship to me and as a matter of a heart that says, I want to give. I want to be a part of what God's doing. Um, this whole idea that he says here in verse 4, then your father who sees what in secret will reward you. In essence, pointing to the father about the secret giving and about the secret reward tells us that our giving is actually to him. Now, it may be to meet a need. You know, it may be <laughs> we may run out to, you know, some may run out to the Dollar Tree and pick up some of these things this week or whatever. And th- these are going to some ladies in Nicaragua that are ministering to a bunch of children who are hungry. But this should be as unto the Lord. I mean, our, our, and all of our giving really should be, as he's saying in this verse, the Father who sees that is the one that the giving is to. Now, someone else is the recipient. The need is expressed in another way, in a practical way, in, in toiletries and in, in, in love and care and sometimes money. But the giving, the heart to give, is unto him and for the benefit of someone else, he's saying. That's the discretionary part of it, is that he sees it and he rewards it. Now, as it relates to praying, he talks first of all that praying should be private. Look at what he says in 5 and 6. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues, on the street corners to be seen by others. I tell you, they receive the reward in full. But when you pray, in essence, you be different than the hypocrites. When you pray, go into your room. Close the door. Pray to your Father. What is he saying? Prayer is not a performance. Never has been. Never should be. Prayer is a conversation. And when you and I can see it that way, our prayer will be far more intimate. It'll be far less. We'll be far less intimidated about it. Um, in fact, m- many believers are 
Well, most believers are intimidated from praying in public. But many believers are intimidated from praying in private because they're, they know they're praying to a holy God. And what am I supposed to say to a holy God? I mean, how, how can I come up with words adequate enough to where I've got anything worth him even listening to? And he says here that this is not done in public. You don't worry about who's listening. I'm listening. And I, he's, he's, in these later verses here, we'll look at that in just a moment, I see your heart. I know what your need is before you even ask. I know you. So I know if you're bumbling over your words that I know what your heart really is trying to say. Don't worry about the words. Don't worry about the vocabulary. Don't worry about, I can't pray as good as he does. She, she sounds more polished in her praying than I do. He's, 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 he's got it all together, man. It just rolls off his tongue when he prays. I can't do that. He's saying, that doesn't matter here. Because in a closet, nobody sees, nobody hears but him. And he's saying, I know that already. I know the matter of your heart. It's not a performance. <laughs> it's a conversation. So pray to him in that way, uh, that it's a conversation to, to, to a trusted and, and uh, dear friend and, and elder brother, as the Scripture describes him to be. Secondly, not only should it be private, praying should be pointed. It should be pointed. Look at what he says in, in uh, verse 7 and 8. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, he says. They're just babbling on. It's a bunch of rhetoric. It's religious rhetoric. You and I have both heard folks pray like that, probably live in church, on TV, someplace else, where there's a bunch of righteous-sounding words coming out of their heart. Father, you you are the, the your Holy Spirit is the propitiation for our sins. And propitiation? What the flop does that mean? And so, and those kind, of, and we're listening to that kind of we're listening to that kind of talk, and we think, really? I mean, is that is that what God understands? Is that what He demands from me when I pray? He's saying, no, don't be like that. That's what the pagans do. They stand on the corners and babble, basically, trying to get my attention and yours and others. He's saying, will you just tell me the truth? Will you just talk to me in your vocabulary? Don't worry about it, somebody else's words. Don't worry about how they pray, how they sound, the words they use. You use your own. Use your own words. Talk to me like you would talk to a friend. That's how he longed for us to communicate with him. Now, also in, in, in it being pointed, he prays here uh, or talking about the need for prayer. And you and I should pray specific. We should pray about particular needs that... Um, that he well, it talks about here in verse uh, in verse eight. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need even before you ask. So, go, let's go to him with what we need. Let's be honest with him and transparent with him. Of, of God, I don't have it together with this, and I, you know, and I, this this job thing I'm just struggling with, or this money thing I'm just struggling with, and I I don't know how to figure it out. I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you. Tell you I don't know how to figure it out. I need your help. I need your guidance. I need you to intervene here and open a door for me to see what I need to do here. If we are, are that honest with him about our needs, he'll respond to them. If we go to him in some blanket way to say, you know, God, you know my needs. Will you take care of them and meet them? Nothing wrong with that. But he already knows it's financial. Or he already knows it's vocational. Or he already knows it's marital. Or he already knows it's parental. He already knows what it is. Why not just be honest with him about what it is and pray to him specifically about those things? That's what he's saying. Stop babbling. Just tell me the truth. I'm a big boy. I made you. I know your heart. I already know what you're going to say before you say it. Just tell me the truth. I already know that. Thirdly, and we see this here in, in, this, uh, in this unfolding here in, in, in 9 through 13 of what's commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer, and that is praying should be patterned. There should be a pattern to prayer. And that's what he's pointing to in these verses. You'll notice that he says in verse 9, this then is how you should pray, not what you should pray but how you should pray. 
In essence, he's saying, follow this pattern as you pray. You don't have to pray this specific thing, but follow this pattern. What's the pattern? The pattern is, first of all, to acknowledge his authority. That's what he's saying here. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your name is hallowed. Your name's above every name. You are in heaven. You're in the holy place. You're in the place of authority to submit and acknowledge his authority. Secondly, is to submit to his will. That's what he's talking about in, in, um, in verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I realize you're in charge. I submit to your will. Whatever your will is, whatever your desires are for me, that's what I want for me. Not my trying to change your mind about my will, but change my mind about yours. Thirdly, we pray for provision. Now, and that's what he's talking to about or talking about here and in our daily bread. Your provision, you are God the provider. And every need I have, whether it's daily, whether it's weekly, whether it's throughout the duration of my life, I realize you are my provider. Nothing comes to me that doesn't come through you, that you've not either directly caused or allowed. You're my provider. You are my forgiver, uh, praying about forgiveness. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. In essence, and he goes on here in verse 14 and 15 to say, you don't forgive others, don't expect my forgiveness. If you want my forgiveness, be a forgiver. If you want to really see what my forgiveness is like and understand the sense of a slate being clean, forgive someone else that you may not feel like deserves it. They've wronged you. They've hurt you. They've, they've stomped on your emotions. And on you. If you forgive them, you'll understand my forgiveness in a way like you've never known before. And you'll sense it and know it in a way like you've never known before. Fifthly, and these, these are the five things as, as he talks about protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from who? From the evil one. From the enemy who's seeking to devour who we are. Protect us from him. So these five things are, are the patterns for prayer. To acknowledge his authority, to, to submit to his will, to pray for provision, to, play, to pray for forgiveness, and to pray for protection. And every one of us need that. No matter how, how old we are, how young we are, each of us need provision, protection, forgiveness to acknowledge and submit to his will. Um, he, let me, <clears throat> Peterson puts this, uh, puts, puts the Lord's Prayer in such a succinct way. I want you to hear it and see how he puts it here in, um, in his version. Our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. See the world, set the world right. Do what's best as above, so below. Keep us alive with, with three square meals. Keep us forgiven with you and with others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. You're in charge. You can do anything you want. I love how he places that by saying he is the authority. He is the one, whether we acknowledge it or not, who's in charge. He's the one who provides. He's the one who forgives. He's the one who meets needs that we have. Now, pretty pointed instruction about giving and about praying. Let's move on to fasting. That's what he's talking about here in verses 16 through 18. And fasting is, <clears throat> is usually thought to be about food for most people, and it, and it can be and, and you know, perhaps should be from time to time, but not exclusively. And perhaps a, as you or if you have fasted before about something, you have, you have done away with food for that period of time so that you can devote yourself to listening to God and praying to see what he has to say about a, a specific thing or another. But it can be beyond food and sometimes maybe even non-food related whatsoever. Sometimes the greatest fasting can be done from TV. Sometimes in our day, I don't know even where my phone is, but in our day, some of the, fa- some of the greatest fasting can be done from that, can, f- can be done from a phone that consumes our, our energies when, we're, when there's nothing going on. We just fill the space with 
And sometimes the, the, the best fasting can be done. So in essence, what I'm saying is, what does it take for you to set aside for God to get our attention about something? And that's really what fasting is about. It's about setting aside whatever, food, uh, media. You, you fill in whatever blank it is that, that, that gets in the way. Setting that aside for whatever season necessary, a day, three, a week. Setting aside that for whatever time necessary for God to say, here's what, here's what I've got to say to you about this. And that's, the, that's, that's what he's getting to with fasting. It should be, first of all, personal. And that's what he describes in verse 16 is that when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show their fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward, their reward in full. In essence, to say, <clears throat> fasting is not about you going into the marketplace or you going into the public and looking skinny and, and, you know, or, or fasting from bathing or anything. He said, it's not, about a, it's not a public issue. Fasting is a private issue with me. Now, can the public see the results of that? Well, yeah, if you're not using your phone or if you're not, I mean, they can see the or eating. They can see some of the results of that. But he said, that's a personal issue with me. It's between me and you. It's not between you and them. So he's saying there that, that listening to God, his word and his spirit, and responding to him, seeing him at work through circumstances is altogether what fasting is about. And if you miss that, you're going to miss it all. Listening to God, how does he speak? by his word, by his spirit, and seeing him at work circumstantially. That's the great benefit of fasting is getting myself at a distance away from whatever's keeping me from seeing those things and hearing those things to where I can see them and hear them. And I encourage you to do that. Um, I don't know if fasting is a normal, normal entity with you and your faith or whether it's, it's something you've never done or something you've done once or twice or whatever, but I encourage you on a regular basis, even if it's just for a day or, or, or whatever, to pull away uh, from from those things that grab your attention or that hold you or consume you, whether you like it or maybe you don't like it. But to pull away from those things to say, God, what do you got to say to me? I want to hear you. I want to see what you got to say in your word. I want to hear from your spirit. I want to see how you're working the circumstances that I've not, not even been able to see because I'm consumed with this or that or him or her. And my consumption with those things have clouded my ability to see you're at work around me, and I, I've never even noticed it. And that conversation I had with this guy over lunch the other day or with that guy at the store, or you were all over that. And I never even, I never even breached any spiritual subject matter at all. And you brought that guy and you handed it. You, you hand-delivered him into my lap, and I never even saw it because I was consumed with what was happening next. I was supposed to meet such and such, or I was supposed to pick up, or I was supposed to run an errand over here. And, and I totally, totally blew that conversation off. Fasting helps us see those kinds of things. It helps us kind of hit the reset button. And kind of clear the cobwebs out to say, God, what are you up to? What are you doing? What do I need to hear? What do I need to see? It should be personal. Secondly, it should be situational. Look at what he says in 17 and 18. When you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it may not be obvious to others that you're fasting. In essence, the putting oil on your head is something they did every day. Uh, and washing your face is something they did every day. Notice he says, don't. Don't break your routine. In other words, don't make it a public issue to where you're going out stinking and ugly and skinny and, and deformed looking to show people how much you're suffering for Jesus. That's not what fasting is about. He's saying that's between you and me, and it should be situational. It should be something that, that you don't fast every Monday just because that's what you're supposed to do. It's not on a schedule. You don't have it on your daytime or your calendar or your phone. He says, fasting should be about something that's situational. If I'm dealing with you about something, if you're praying about something specific, about a relationship, about a job, about a, a big decision that you've got coming up or whatever, if you're praying about it and you're trying to seek my will about that, he said, there's a great opportunity to fast 
There's a great opportunity to pull away and separate myself from whatever it is that clutters my ability to see those things or hear those things from him. He's saying those are situational things. Those kinds of decisions that come up in your life, that's the very time and the very season by which we need to fast. Um, and you know that better than anybody else, what that's about. Nobody, no pastor should tell you, you need to fast about such and such. That's between you and God. Uh, and he will direct you, his spirit will direct you when that is. But the greatest indicator is when I'm not getting it. <laughs> I know God's trying to speak to me, but I'm not getting it. I know God's at work around me, but I'm not seeing it. Those are great indicators. I need to pull away. I need to pull away and, 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 and separate myself from, from whatever. Even if I need to take a, a day off from work or whatever and just spend time alone with him, listening, reading his word, listening, putting on some worship music, trying to hear from God to say, what are you saying? I'm not getting it. I want to see it. I want to hear it. I don't want to miss it. I've missed too many already in my life. I don't want to miss this. What are you seeing? What are you trying to say? It, it is about something specific. But, but centrally, it's this. If you're going to write down one, and this isn't a blank on your handout, if you're going to write down one word that really has to do with fasting, it has to do with focus. Fasting is about focus. As I said earlier, it's about, about every piece of electronics now you have has a reset button somewhere, either inside the box or on the outside. But it's about hitting that reset button of going back to the default of what is natural, what is who I was, what is who I really am, what is the relationship with he and I all about. That's what fasting is about. It's about focus. It's about, it's about re, revisiting those basic things that says, here's what our relationship is about. Here's what it lacks. Here's what it needs. Here's what I need to focus on. Here's what I need to, to pay my attention to. Now, these are practical things, giving, praying, fasting. But there are things that, if you'll notice in this text, he already assumes we're doing. Because in every, every situation here, he says, in, in fact, uh, verse 2, when you give to the needy. Verse 5, when you pray. Verse 16, when you fast. Not if you give to the needy, if you pray and if you... He's saying when you do those things. That's an assumption <laughs> that he's making. And these are all assumed to be in every believer's life. Each one of these. Giving, praying, fasting are assumed to be a part of every believer's life. Here's a question. Are they? Are they a part of our life? Are we giving on a consistent basis? And as I say, whether that's money's only part of the equation, what about our time? What about our talent? Are we giving what God has given us back away to him for the benefit of others? Statistically, <clears throat> uh, according to Pew Research, statistically, believers, Christians, people who call themselves followers of Jesus, pray on average twice a week. Um, statistically speaking, believers fast usually. Believers who fast, let me put it that way. Believers who have fasted before fast usually about once every three years. Many believers have never fasted at all. In fact, 85, greater than 85% of professing Christians have, have never fasted before him. As it relates to giving, statistically, givers, people who give on a regular basis, Christians, give between a half and 1% of their income to kingdom-related things. So what he's saying here is these are, assume, these are things that I'm assuming are already in your life. This is Jesus speaking to us. I'm assuming these th you've already, you're already doing these things. You may not be doing them well, and that's why the further instruction on them. But I'm assuming you're already giving. I'm assuming you're already praying. I'm assuming you're already fasting when you do these things, he says. 
are we doing? The second thing that I want us to take away is this. <clears throat> the hypocrites, <clears throat> the guys that are wearing the jeepers instead of the Chuck Taylors, are the religious leaders. It's the religious leaders. It's the church folks that he's talking about. That he, and, he, and he speaks to them in each one of these sections. Verse 2, um, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. In essence, they're, they're the religious leaders. Uh, don't pray as the hypocrites do. Don't be like the hypocrites, verse 5. Uh, when you fast, verse 16, don't look somber like the hypocrites do. He uses this terminology in every one of these accounts. Why? To tell us to focus on what's real, not what is seen. To focus on what's real, not what is seen. Because oftentimes, what is seen, even in church, is not real. To focus on the reality of who a person is with God, their relationship with him, as opposed to what they think others are seeing about in their relationship with him. Um, he's referring here to, to the religious leaders, that's the, the, the church folk. So here, as we close, here's, here's kind of a probing question. And <clears throat> in essence, he's talking about people like you and I. Are we those church folk that he's talking about? Are we the, are we the ones he's pointing to, <laughs> that he's talking to true followers about, or we're the ones he's pointing to say, don't be like them. They're, they're, they're as fake as a $3 bill. There's, 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 it's all facade with them. It's all what you see and there's no substance with them. The, 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 I hope you got the sense earlier in the story I was telling about the Jeepers to know that bothered me. It bothered me to feel. It didn't bother me to, to, to understand my dad didn't have the money. That didn't bother me. And, and wearing, wearing the Jeepers didn't bother me because they were better than the tennis shoes I had. What bothered me was I felt inferior. I, I felt like somebody second class. I felt, I, and I sensed it. And whether it was from the enemy or whether it was from my own mind, I sensed it. Here's what I want to drive home today. If, if God is dealing with our hearts about hypocrisy, and, and it may not be be about any of these three areas, about giving, about praying, about fasting. But if he's dealing with us about a sense of hypocrisy, man, let's be honest with him, can we? He already knows. And to be honest with you, most folks can see through the facade too. Most folks around us, they can see when things aren't real. They can see when things are fake. They can see when a, when a, when a smile is plastered or painted on where it's, it's, we're hurting and they know we're hurting. And So why, why can't we just be real in essence why can't we be who we are who he's wired us to be and honest certainly with with the family of believers um that, that god has us in or the community of believers that we worship with or do bible study with or do life with or or, or go eat with or are friends with he's saying here can can we just be honest he said can we stop being like the church like the hypocritical church folks and be real followers it, it to do that we got to move beyond hypocrisy and get into some real stuff Get into some delayed reward and discretion as we give. Get into some to praying honestly and openly and, and, and using the vocabulary that he's given us, not that he's given somebody else. Can we get into t to fasting situationally and, and, and to make it a priority in the sense that, as I say, whether it's food, whether it's electronics, whether it's media, whether it's music, whether it's whatever it is that's getting in the way, can we be honest enough to say, I'm fake because of that. And I'm, I'm putting on a, a front because of that. And so if I can separate myself enough 
for long enough from that, I can hear God speak and reveal to me, this ain't right. I need you to walk with me in more authenticity there. I need, you, I need you to be more real with me there and with others there, with your family there. They already see it. I mean, they already know it. We're not fooling them. And most of the time, not our friends either. Um, but this whole idea of, of um, breaking through the facade and being real with him and real with others is what he's trying to drive home. And he's using three, three examples here of giving, praying, and fasting to do that simply because that's, those were the obvious things that the, the followers of, of, of Jehovah did in that day and time is let's go out to the corner and pray or let's stand up in church and let's, let's let everybody hear how cool I pray, how, how deep my spiritual vocabulary is. And, and what, what, what comes away from that is, is far more Im- impressive than it is inspiring. And what you and I need to focus on is being inspired by him, not impressing others because of him. So as we see that, and as God kind of noodles around our heart today with some of this scripture, would we just respond in honesty to say, (laughs) a lot of that looks like me, especially as it relates to giving, especially as it relates to maybe praying, especially as it relates to fact. A lot of that looks like me, and I don't like it. we're, We're drawing a line in the sand today to say, I've got a choice to make. I'm going to be real about these things and about other things, or I'm going to go on and, and, and be who I think others won't need to see, that I want them to see. Can we be honest with him and with others? Well, that's what he's longing for. And that's what, really, that's what a world around us that's lost needs to see, is that we're broken. Every one of us are broken. And he's the only one that fixes those things. He's the only one that, that solves those kinds of issues and those kinds of problems. And he will, every time, if we'll give them to him. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Cross Point Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.